Well, hey, everybody. I'm Cameron, by the way. I'm not Carmen. I'm Cameron. Hey. All right. That cost me a lot of money to get them to do that. Um, listen, I'm so thankful to be with you today. Um, during the month of July, we have a bit of a fruit basket turnover when it comes to pastors because um, some of our pastors go out of town for vacation and that kind of thing. So usually you get a slate of girls through the month of July. Um, there was a family at Traditional this morning who hasn't been here in a year. They were here last year on the week that I preached in July. And so I told them, just check the schedule next time and you can hear someone else. <laughs> you come once a year and that's you're getting this same person. But um, Carmen was last week. She did an awesome job preaching out of the book of John. Today, we're going to look at practically the whole book of John quickly. Um, and then next week, Fair is going to be preaching also out of the book of John. We did not plan that, but hey, that's what happened. I'm thankful. I feel like the Lord is trying to tell us a few things by that. And so um, anyway, this morning I want to get started out of John chapter 1, starting from the beginning, verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So who is this talking about? Who is the Word? Jesus. Jesus. Yay. Good job. Fair. Good work with these. <laughs> um, I'm so thankful. My dad is a pastor, and I love that. I loved growing up in the preacher's house. We had a, an awesome childhood. Um, and they taught us the Word of God and, and really instilled in us a love for the Word of God. And I'm very thankful for that. They never forced us to memorize scripture. Um, they didn't like use that as a punishment. I, I went to a small private Christian school for middle school and I had to I got detention one week for chewing gum and um, so I had to show up on a Saturday morning for chewing gum and if you know me that is still a, it is a lifelong habit I refuse to give up I refuse it's a miracle I don't have any in my mouth right now I but I got caught chewing gum and I had to go to detention on Saturday morning and guess what we had to do all morning write scripture like it's a punishment right um, my parents did not do that they did not use scripture as a punishment for us but my dad the only time he ever required us to memorize any scripture was John chapter 1 and I was in middle school Katie was little bitty and she smoked me in the memorization part by the way but but we learned John chapter 1 the whole thing and it's kind of confusing. If you've ever read through it, I would encourage you to do it. I'd encourage you to memorize it. It was a little confusing to learn because the, the, the word, the word, the word is in there so many times and it was a little confusing to get it all right. But I'm so thankful now that I do know that. It really has anchored my understanding of who Jesus is and why he came in the first place. So Jesus is, John chapter one says he is the word, which means it's something we can see, right? How, how many of you can read? Okay. If you can read, you're looking at the words, right? It's something you can see. So if you can see, you can, you can read it, right? Jesus was the word made flesh and came to dwell among us. He was something we could see. He was a person for us to experience. And all the things we're going to look at today, we're going to look at seven examples of Jesus revealing his glory through the book of John. What was the point of that? Why did he do it? Revealing his glory through miracles and things, signs, wonders, all of these things were all to point us toward 
a relationship with God the Father. That was the point. So signs do that. They point us towards something, right? When I was 16, I thought I knew everything. And um, uh, Mackenzie raised her hand. Tyler, (laughs) she raised her hand. Okay. Some of you have raised teenagers. I haven't, but I've worked with them for a very long time. Some of you tried to give me your teenagers because you were tired of them. One time I was taking a group backpacking for spring break of high schoolers, and there was a 16-year-old girl who will remain nameless who was going with us, and her mom came to the parent meeting, the final meeting, and we were talking about how to pack and what to expect and all these things. We were going to Tennessee my home. Um, There's really not many bears in the part of Tennessee where we were going, but the mom raised her hand and said, are there bears there? And I thought, oh gosh, she's not going to let her kid go. And I said, I was like, no, there's, there really aren't. Uh, I said, but you know, we will be careful, but there aren't bears. And um, after the meeting, she says, okay, after the meeting's over, she comes up to me and she said, I was like, I, I promise I will take care of her. I will bring her home. I promise I'll take care of her. She's like, oh, I'm not worried about that. I was just going to tell you, you don't have to be faster than everybody else. You just have to outrun her. Like 16 in their household had about killed them, right? So she's like, let the bears have her. I, you know, they can have her. <laughs> I was 16 and I thought I knew everything and I I got my driver's license at 16. I was so excited about it, but I was um, younger than everybody in my class because I'd started school in one state. We moved to another and the the age requirement for starting school um, was different in the state I moved to. So when I was in high school, I was the youngest one in my class. So I didn't get my driver's license until I was a, a, a senior in high school. And so at that point, though, I I think I know everything. My grandfather, who lived in Tennessee, excuse me, got very sick. So we had to leave in the middle of the night to go to Tennessee to see about him in the hospital in Nashville. And so if you know anything about Nashville, um, I'm 41 years old. It has been under construction my entire life. I think it will be till Jesus comes back. I mean, if you go, just plan for it to take a long time. But we drove up in the middle of the night. We get to the hospital. We go in to see about him, and we kind of make a plan for what we're going to do. My family lived an hour and a half. My grandmother lived an hour and a half from the hospital in a small town. So there's no hospitals nearby. And so my dad said, I want you, your mom, and you, and your sister to take grandma and go home, get a good night's sleep, come back tomorrow. And he was going to stay the night in the hospital. My grandfather was in a coma. Okay, sure. So we go drive the hour and a half to Tracy City, Tennessee. We spend the night. We get up in the morning, and my mom says, we need to take two cars because um, your dad is going to stay, and he's going to need a car right while he's at the hospital. He's going to just stay for the duration. Okay. Well, I got excited because I'm like, oh, that means I get to drive. My grandmother was too frazzled and upset, and so my mom very wisely took my sister and grandmother in her car and put me in a car by myself and told me to follow her. I'm not good at many things, but I'm going to tell you something that I probably need to talk to the Lord about pride is that I'm fairly good with directions, okay? I knew that. Even at 16, I'm pretty good at directions. I was not worried. We didn't have GPS. I didn't even know what that was. We had a phone hardwired into the car. There was no, like, mobile phone. No, No, you know, you're not taking it with you. It's in the car. So I start following my mom to the hospital. So we, the first, you know, it's 90 miles. The first 80 miles, smooth sailing, not a big deal. We get into Nashville, 
and all the construction is there. Well, we had arrived in the middle of the night. So I had not seen any of the landmarks. I'm asleep. I didn't pay attention. So this pride I have about good direction, I got no reference. I have nothing. I have no map. I have nothing. I am relying on my mom following her. And so it's a fairly stressful situation, right? Trying to get to the hospital and all that. Um, My mom and I are in two cars in the far left lane. The exit ramp is on the right. We are about four lanes over. And all of a sudden, my mom realizes that 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 is the ramp. And so here she went. Guess where I went? This way. I kept going straight because I couldn't get over that quick. I didn't know where I didn't know where we were going. And so I look up at the ramp and I see my mom going, just go to the next exit. She's just waving at me. Well, I thought, I I can figure this out. I know how interstates work. I just will get off at the next exit, come back, and then go to that exit, right? I know the name of the hospital. I can find my way. I go to the next exit and I get off. But in my effort to go the correct direction, I went back the same direction that I had gone. And so now I am further away because I've continued the same direction once I got back on the interstate. I get off the interstate again and I'm like, okay, I can do this. Well, by this point, I'm getting a little frazzled and a little scared because I don't have my, my, my mom's not there. I'm not following anybody. I'm just out here by myself. I got so flustered that I went up the off ramp trying to get on the interstate. So there's cars coming. John Corley is sitting over here going, oh, my stars, oh, my stars, oh, my stars. You would have thrown me in jail. Okay. I, I'm going up the off ramp. Well, there's cars coming and they're honking and I'm frantic, right? So I pull off onto the shoulder. I wait for these people to come off and then I do a U-turn. I still don't know how that is even possible, how I did it, but I did. I do a U-turn and I come off and I get back. I go to a gas station and I'm so frantic trying to get help and figure out where I am. I don't have a way to do anything. I've been calling my mom and the phone is busy and I'm like, oh, I can't get a hold of me. I don't know what to do. So I go into the gas station. I ask for directions. They don't know what I'm asking for. And I said, it was probably because I'm like hysterical. They couldn't even understand what I was saying. I'm, I have a flair for the dramatic if you don't know me. And so I was a little bit upset while I was in there. I go to back to the car and I start just driving. I thought, I'm just going to go somewhere. I don't know. I'm going to look for somebody else to tell me where to go. There are no signs for St. Thomas Hospital in Nashville. I'm convinced of it. I did not see one anywhere. I get... I pull into one parking lot that had a car in it. It was so early in the morning. I didn't know where else to go. There was not, businesses were not open. And there were, this exit, I've just, of course, the one I pick has no fast food restaurants. There's nothing where I could go in and ask for help. But there was a cabinet shop. I go in a cabinet shop to ask for directions. And I'm like, there's one car here. This is my hope. I go in the door and there is a gruff old dude sitting at the back of the shop. And his back was to me. And I know it alarmed him because people don't just walk in there, right? But I walked in and I was like, um, excuse me. And I'm trying to be calm, but I'm not. I get in and he turns around and he's like, what do you want? You know, a little alarm that I came in and disrupted his whatever morning routine. And I said, uh, I'm looking for St. Thomas Hospital. My granddad is dying. And I just burst into tears. I mean, just squalled. And, um, he is just wide eyed. He never said another word. He just stared at me and I'm just going on and on and on. And I see him kind of go like this. And I realize somebody has walked in behind me. 
And it was a younger guy who worked there, and he came in, and he touched me on the shoulder and said, Honey, what are you looking for? And I, and I blubber through telling him where I'm going, and he said, You're four blocks away. You're okay. It's right here. So he gives me the directions. I get to the hospital, proud of myself, try to get it together. Go in because I don't want to look like a failure, okay? I have made it to the hospital, and I need my family to know it. I walk in. I have been calling my mom on my wired bag phone in the car, and it was busy the whole time. You know why? I was calling myself <laughs> the whole time. I said, Mama, I called you the whole way. And she said, no, you didn't. And she asked me what number I called, and I told her, she's like, that's yours. <laughs> so when I walk in, there's a bank of pay phones. Do y'all remember those? They're like in museums now. There's this bank of pay phones. And I, my dad is at one. My, grandma's, my grandmother is at another. My mom is sitting over there reading a magazine. She was not worried one bit. Not one bit. And I, I walked in and I was like, I tried to call you. And I'm explaining about the phone. And my dad's like, well, honey, are you okay? And my grandmother's all upset. And my mom's like, oh, she'd get here. I knew she'd get here. It was fine. She's fine. She's fine. My parents, I mean, you know, my dad was kinder about it. Anyway, <clears throat> but here's the thing. I was looking for a sign to get me to the hospital. There weren't any. There were no signs. I could not follow instructions because I was so frantic in trying to see where I was supposed to go. I'm worried about my grandfather who's dying in the hospital. I, I don't know what I'm doing. My, my false delusion of 16-year-oldness that thought she knew everything faded quickly when I realized I didn't know how to get to the hospital. I did not know what to do. I did not know how to problem solve this thing. But there weren't any signs to get me where I was going. But the scriptures that we're going to look at today are all about Jesus revealing himself through signs, not to point to himself, not to make himself look great or that he was, you know, amazing. He is, but that wasn't his point. He was pointing us to something, something that was bigger. There was a transforming relationship with the, our Father. To that, to that point, until Jesus came, there was, there was no opportunity for that. The priest, priest that stood for God, for God's and, and God himself, but there was no, no relational relation to be had with God. God, Jesus gave us that opportunity, opportunity was, the point, was the point coming. We're going to look at seven different things across the course of the scripture today. But John chapter 20, verse 30 says that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. All that means is there's a lot of things that Jesus did that we don't know about. So everything that's contained in the scripture is true. And we stand on that and we believe every, wor every word in the word of God is true. But it, not everything's in there. It couldn't contain everything. The scripture even says that. So just know that the things we're looking at are not the only signs that Jesus did, but they are the ones that are here for our benefit and divinely appointed for us. Every, according to everything that we're about to see, all of these miracles have one purpose in pointing us um, through Jesus' glory. He reveals his glory to point us to a relationship with God. So here's the first story, John chapter 2. This is a familiar story to many of you, I'm sure. Uh, there is a young couple getting married, and in this culture at this time, um, what happened at their wedding was something that could be um, 
gossiped about forever, right? Because they're in a culture where honor and shame is a big thing. They ran out of wine at the wedding pretty early. So I don't know if people were just heavy drinkers or a lot more people showed up than they thought, poor planning. I don't know what the problem was. I don't know what happened. But the point is they ran out of wine. Jesus and his disciples and Jesus' mother are there. Jesus' mother comes to him and says, hey, uh, they've run out of wine. Can you do something about it, right? What does he do? He sends his uh, disciples or sends people with uh, big stone jars to fill with water. They come back. He turns it into wine. Here's the interesting thing about this. It doesn't say in this story that anybody else knew what happened. The people in the, in the wedding may have been none the wiser that they ran out of wine. In fact, it goes on to say that they pointed out, hey, you didn't save the bad wine for later and serve the good stuff early. This is actually the good stuff that you served later. So, so this was something that doesn't look, to, does not appear that other people at the wedding knew about except for his mother and the disciples and himself. Why do you think he did that? He needed them to understand, the people closest to him, he needed them to understand what he was doing, why he was here, and he needed to solidify their faith in him about who he was. He had called these people away from their lives, away from these different um, professions, from their families, all this stuff. He's called them away to follow him and be his disciples. But this was the first miracle performed publicly and it solidifies their faith. So let's look what it says in chapter 2, verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. What was the result of Jesus revealing his glory? Belief. Belief. It says his disciples believed. It doesn't say everybody at the wedding believed because they didn't see that. This was Jesus' people, his disciples. He revealed himself to the core people around him so that they could go out and do ministry with him. He needed them to have a firm understanding. This miracle was for them. Pretty amazing thing. All right, that was story number one. Let's look at story number two. This is John chapter four. I want us to read the whole story. It's a good one, okay? After the two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that, that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. Why did this man seek out Jesus to begin with? It says in verse 45 that they had seen all he had done in Jerusalem during the Passover. So this leader, as well as 
people who were at the Passover festival had seen Jesus performing signs. We don't know what they all were, but he saw them do it. They saw him do it. Sorry. They saw him do it. What was the result of this? This man goes to find Jesus because he has an inkling that he can do something for his son. This is the thing he wanted the most in the world. His child is dying. He needed a miracle. He goes and finds the one person that he thinks could do it. He was desperate for an answer. So what was the result of Jesus revealing his glory in the story? Resurrection and belief. The boy is at near death. He's at death's door. Jesus raises him back. He doesn't even have to go. He just says the word. He's raised back to life. I love that the, that the man said he realized it was the same time that Jesus spoke the word. He made the connection. This was not a coincidence. This was not a medical intervention. This was Jesus who did it. So resurrection and belief. Because it says, um, the last part of the uh, verse 53, Jesus tells him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. So not just the man, not just the boy, his whole household. So you're seeing a growth in the people that are believing, right? This goes from outside his disciples to now. There are people seeing and believing what Jesus is doing and not just in what he can do, but actually in who he is. All right, third story is John chapter five. Jesus sees a man laying on a mat near a pool where people thought if you got into the pool when the waters were stirred, if you were the first one in and you needed healing, you would get healed. We've talked about this before. Um, can Jesus, is Jesus limited to that? No. But he used the opportunity at the pool to say to this man, get up and walk. That's what it tells us in um, chapter five. The guy had been laying there for 38 years. He tells him to get up and walk just simply after asking him if he wanted to get well. He gets up. He walks and he believes. How could you not? He'd been laying there for 38 years. If you, if you had a long con of laying by the pool for 38 years, shame on you. That is not what happened here. This guy really had been um, crippled all this time. Or the scripture calls him an invalid. He was laying there for 38 years. Jesus heals him. He comes to believe. He sees and knows Jesus is the one who did, who did it. We know that uh, because in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 5, um, it, it says, Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. If he hadn't believed what Jesus said, he would still be laying there. But he got up because he believed in what Jesus did. Verse 11 says that he testified to this healing later um, when he was questioned by the religious leaders. Verse 11 says, but he replied, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. So what does he say? The man who made me well. He testified that it was Jesus who had done it. Now he's questioned. Jesus is accused of lying and all these things in this story because the religious leaders cannot believe that this man is the same guy who was made well that had been laying by the pool. But what was the result of Jesus revealing his glory in this story? Healing and belief. He's raised back to new life. He's given a, a new lease on life and he believes. I also think there were a lot of people at that pool 
waiting their turn and hoping it was their day to get in the pool. But Jesus zeroes in on that one guy and heals him. You know they saw it. They couldn't help but believe they'd been laying by the pool too. They'd been seeing this guy all this time. People believed because of what they saw Jesus do. But it wasn't just about believing what he could do. It was about who he was. All right, story number four. John chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 say, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. It's interesting. Why did people follow him? They saw the signs. They saw the signs he had performed. They start believing in this guy. You know what? He might have something to say. I might go listen. And the story goes on to say that there were 5,000 men plus women and children who gathered to hear him. I'm interested in the acoustics of this place. How did that happen, right? But it does. Jesus is, is teaching. They're listening. Everybody starts to get hungry. This is another miracle that it does not explicitly say that everyone saw the miracle. His disciples saw it. A little boy comes and brings his lunch or they take it from him or whatever, they bring it to Jesus. He multiplies it out and gives it to the 5,000 men and then more women and children. They all eat. It doesn't say that they saw it multiplied, but they received the blessing of the sign. They received the blessing of the miracle, whether they knew that Jesus had performed it or not. But, but what it did was bought Jesus an in to share the truth with them. You feed people, they keep showing up. I work with teenagers. You feed them, guess what? They're coming back. <laughs> All that pizza for you is just so you have to, so you can listen to Farah teach on Wednesday nights. That's what that's about. But Jesus fed these people and performed a miracle that his disciples would see and believe and keep their faith in the one that they were following. Plus, it met a lot of needs. Now, some people may have seen it. The little boy who, you know, his fish and bread got taken, he knew. But think about that. Why did Jesus do it? He was revealing his glory one more time that people would come to know and believe. Verse 14 says, after the people, so, so we don't know who the people were, but after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. What's the result? Belief. They had been waiting hundreds of years for the Savior. They had been looking for hundreds of years for signs. Well, guess what? It was here. That's why they called him the prophet. They'd been looking for all of this evidence for the Savior to show up. He was here. They saw it. And they said, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. They came to believe. All right, story number five from John chapter nine. I encourage you to read this whole story for yourself. It's an interesting one. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but uh, <laughs> there's a blind man on the side of the road. He, uh, Jesus comes up on him as he's traveling from one place to the next. And Jesus uh, is going to heal him. So he spits on the ground, makes some mud out of the dirt, rubs it on the guy's eyes, tells him to go wash, go wash it off in a, a specific place and that he would be healed. The guy doesn't question it. He just goes and he's healed. I wonder if he was not blind, if he had seen the method by which Jesus did this, 
if he would have hung around. But honestly, what did he have to lose? Nothing. He was already blind. This, things could not get worse. He's blind by the side of the road. He is at the mercy of everyone else. He believed what Jesus told him to do. He went and did it. What was the result? Healing. Verse 38, Jesus is talking to the man later. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. He believed. So what was the result? Healing and belief. Do you see a pattern? Belief. When Jesus reveals himself, when he reveals his glory to us, we cannot help but believe. All right, let's look at the last two stories quickly. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. A lot of you know this story too. He has two sisters, Mary and Martha. They are devastated because their brother has died. They send for Jesus before Lazarus dies, but Jesus doesn't come right away. When he does show up, I think it's one of the most beautiful pictures in all of scripture about who Jesus really was. We believe and we know by evidence of the scripture that he was fully God and fully man, right? Absolutely, no question about that. He knew as God, he knew what was about to happen, what he was about to do and the miracle he was about to perform. He still stood by the tomb of his friend and wept. Why? He's fully human. He was sad. He saw the people around who were sad. The scripture tells us that he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He knows our grief. He knows when we are hurting, even though he knows what he can do for us and who he is. He still hurts with us. I think it's precious picture of who he really was but let's get back to the story okay he raises Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11 verse 45 goes on to say therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him how can you argue with a dead man being alive you can't so if all these other stories people could say uh Maybe it was a coincidence or whatever. It wasn't. But how are you going to argue with a man who's been in a tomb for like four days? You can't. And he came out. And he wasn't stinky. And he was fine. Like how? But people, it says they came to believe because they saw what he had done. You can't argue with that. All right, here's the seventh story. Things heat up a little bit here because... Um, directly following what we just read in chapter 11, a plot to kill Jesus ensues. The plot ultimately, eight chapters later, comes to uh, fruition when Jesus is crucified in chapter 19. Can you imagine what it was like for the people who had been healed, who had been raised from the dead, who had been fed lunch, who had had their eyes healed, who had seen all these signs and wonders, I've been following this guy around for three years. Can you imagine what it was like to see him die? What would that be like? And they had to sit in it for three days. I tell my Wednesday night Bible study this all the time. They get sick of hearing it, but it's true. We have the benefit of the whole of Scripture. We can see all of it. We can read it from start to finish. We know what that looks like. They didn't have that benefit because they were in it. They were the stories, right? They are in it. So they don't know that three days later, later Jesus is coming back. They don't know that. He said some obscure things to him, like in three days I'll rebuild the temple and da da da. And those things were confusing to them. But he was 
pointing toward what was really going to happen. So when he was raised from the dead on the, on the third day, this is a surprise to them. But for three days, they had to sit in a pretty dark spot. What were they going to do with the guy that they had believed in? Were they going to continue to believe in him? Were they going to just accept it as something that they shouldn't have put their faith in? I don't know. But they had to sit in that for three days. But then John chapter 20 happens. Jesus is resurrected, meaning he rose from the grave to defeat all of sin and all of death for all of time. All of it. There is nothing. We're singing about it this morning. There's nothing that our God can't do. There is not a thing he cannot heal. There's not a sin he cannot save us from. Every bit of it, all of it, he can do it, and he does. So Jesus' resurrection was the ultimate revelation of his glory. So what was the result of Jesus' ultimate revealing of his glory? Our belief. All of these other stories in the scripture were for the people who were there. And Jesus knew that we would see the scripture later and that it would help build our faith. But why, none of those miracles benefited us right in the moment. I'm not on the hill being fed like the 5,000 people. I'm not the man on the side of the road getting spit in my face. I'm not, that's not, I was not there. But the resurrection of Jesus is for me. The resurrection of Jesus is for every person that came from that point forward until he comes back. And the result of him coming is our belief. It has to be. We can't look at that and not believe. We can't. I would challenge you to try. Some of you have been trying for a long time. I've told you this before. My, my grandfather uh, got saved on his deathbed, which was not the story I told before. We thought he was going to die then, but he lived a good long time after that. But he got saved three weeks before he died as he was sitting waiting on the ambulance to come take him to the hospital. He got saved waiting on the ambulance. He nearly killed all of us. We prayed forever. My grandmother prayed for 60 years of marriage. He finally came to know Jesus. Those signs were all around him, but he wasn't looking. But I want to say to you, you can believe now. Please don't wait until you're on your deathbed. You don't know when that's going to be. And I don't say that as a fear tactic. I say it to you as an invitation that Jesus wants to save you. He wants to heal you. If you already know him and you need healing, he wants to do it. If you need restoration in a relationship, he wants to do it. If you need restoration in a marriage, he wants to do it. If you need to be reconciled to your child, he wants to do it. If you need healing in your body, he wants to do it. I'm not him. I cannot promise you how that will happen. But I can tell you that his heart for you is that. His heart for you is full restoration. All of it. He wants that for you. We don't deserve any of that. None of it. But that is the essence of our salvation. We got what we did not deserve in Jesus, revealing his glory to us. You remember the story, Bill, I promise I'm finishing. Okay. Um, you remember the story of Thomas in the scripture after Jesus is resurrected. Thomas gets a really bad rap. I had somebody come to me after the service at uh, 9 o'clock and shook my hand, and he said, my name's Thomas, and I believe. (laughs) But what happens in this story is Thomas is one of the disciples. He's been with Jesus all this time. 
But he said, I, he wasn't there when Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he was resurrected. But, but what he says is, I won't believe it until I see it, basically. What does Jesus do? He shows up and lets him see it. Does he leave him behind? No. The scripture says that um, Jesus says to him, um, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I think he gets a bad rap because uh, he is not known as Thomas the disciple. He's not known as like, Thomas the handsome one he's known as doubting Thomas for all of time like how sad the guy's been following around for three years surely he didn't doubt the whole time but he wasn't sure about this resurrection thing but Jesus shows up and proves it to him so do we have to um are we required to believe without seeing no if we were Jesus wasted all of his time performing these signs. That's why he did it. I think we, we're hard on ourselves and we're hard on other people when we don't believe things that we can't see. We need to believe in God who we can't see face to face. We haven't seen Jesus face to face yet. We will, but we haven't yet. We need to believe that. But Jesus knew that that was hard for us. That's why he gave the signs. That's why he revealed his glory that we would believe that we would have a relationship with him. So my invitation to you today is that if you don't know Jesus, let me give you a, um, a little insight. You may not know or think that he's revealed his glory around you. You may not think he has a promise he has. You have to look for it. And if you need some help finding it, come see me. I'll help you. The fact that you're breathing and sitting here is a pretty good sign. God has revealed himself. If you need a relationship with Jesus, if you do not have one, we believe in it here, that that is the only way. If you need restoration in a relationship, if you need healing, if you need, I don't know, whatever the thing is that you need, Jesus knows it and he can do it. I don't mean to oversimplify that or, or downplay how hard your things are. They're hard. I believe it. But even more so, the power of Jesus outweighs that and what he wants to do. So my invitation to you today is for salvation. If you don't know him, let's do it. Let's meet him today. If you already know him, but you're discouraged and you had a tough time believing him for whatever it is that you need, let me reacquaint you with the one who can do it. If you have been hardcore believing God for something and you have not wavered in your faith, but you haven't seen things come to fruition yet, we want to pray with you that you will see it, that you will see the evidence of the things that you are, are praying for. Debbie was talking about that, that as we come together and pray with one another, it moves heaven, I'm telling you. And scripture is that's so true what she said. It holds back evil when we pray. That is what we're going to do where we are praying people here. So I'm going to lead you in that prayer, and then we're going to close. So I invite you to pray with me out loud so that nobody feels by themselves. That's how we do things around here. We, we want people to be, um, we want to make the path of least resistance for you to get to Jesus. Okay, so let's pray together. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for revealing yourself to me. Today, I believe that you love me and you want to save me. Please forgive me and come into my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I also want to pray for those that are in need of healing. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially, relationally. Lord, I, I speak blessing and healing over them in Jesus' name. That you would reveal yourself in a way that is new and fresh and in ways that they don't expect, Lord, but they would see and they would believe. We trust you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.